Life Fellowship. And for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, if you weren't here last week, uh, this is part two of a sermon that we started last week on gender roles in the church. And, you know, the most profound title ever is Gender Roles in the Church Part 2, right? So that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, we started to look at Timothy that is talking about life and order in the church. What should you expect when you walk in the doors of a local church and how is the church to be structured, organized, and what are the kind of things the church needs to be about? And one of the things that we noticed last week was in Paul's answer about uh, this issue of gender roles is that Paul gives us a, a universal answer to a cultural problem. It's really helpful. And let me look into your world and you're going to think to yourself, all of the gender confusion in our world, you probably think this is new. It's stuff that we've never seen before. And I would just say this. It's stuff you've never seen before, right? It's stuff that God has seen from before time began. It's stuff that every culture and generation has been affected by. And one of the things that we notice is right in the Bible, in the very first century, we saw that Ephesus was, as one commentator called it, a city that was a bastion for feminine supremacy, it was a place where on the backdrop of the city was the Temple of Diana, and they had all kind of culture, cultic practices that were happening there. They had prostitutes and prophetesses and temple eunuchs who were all part of the city's life and culture and influenced the city deeply. <clears throat> and so when the church in Ephesus was started by the Apostle Paul, you can only imagine the type of gender confusion that was happening in their world. And so Paul decides he's going to address the gender issue in the church, and he begins it in chapter 2, verse 8. And what's interesting is he actually concludes this discussion in chapter 3, verse 13, which we're going to study over the next few weeks. What doing is Paul's taking all of the practices that were going on in the temple of Diana, and he's basically saying, let's talk about what church, what life in the church should look like as opposed to what life in the cultic temple is going to look like. And so what you're going to notice is Paul gives us a universal answer to a cultural problem. And in doing so, he gives us a biblical norm that should be in the church and in the family. And one of the things you're going to notice about the Bible is that the Bible is going to speak to about two particular places where these gender roles are to be functioning as God has ordered them. You're going to find it in the church and you're going to find it in the family. People have asked me often, what about in politics, about women in politics, or what about uh, roles in business? And my response to that is, where Scripture speaks, we speak clearly. Where it doesn't speak, we don't. We know what God says about the church and the family and how God has organized those things. And so what we've noticed in this opening sermon last week was that in the church and the family, the biblical norm is a woman's support and submission to a man's leadership and authority. That's God's order. And, and you'll notice what Paul says about this in verses 11 and 12, which will come up on the screen when he made this comment that a woman should learn quietly with all submission and a woman should not teach or exercise authority over a man in the church. Now, I want to make sure that's really clear, right? So, uh, you know, just a funny little joke in our home periodically, Jill and I might get in a little marital discussion and I look at her and I say, Hey, sweetie, listen, the Bible says that women should remain silent in the churches. Right? It's a joke. There's a joke. And Joe will graciously look at me and say, that's in the church, not in the home, sweetie. Right? 
just to remind me of what this, this is in the church. That's the biblical norm. This doesn't mean that women don't have the gift. Should they teach at all? Instead, they shouldn't teach with the authority of pastors or elders who lead the church. And the reason that Paul said this is found in verse 13, that this is the way God set it up at creation. Adam was created first and then Eve. It's a sign of order, not value. It's remarkably important. It's a picture of role, not status before God. That's incredibly important to this discussion. Now, now what's, what's interesting about this discussion is there's two places where God in, his, in the Bible determines this and talks about in the roles, in the church and the family. It's the only two spots we see it really discussed strongly in the Bible. And it's the only two places we get really mad about. Our emotions get up, which is really funny because if you look around the rest of society, there's authority and submission everywhere. You have authority and submission in the civil government. Right now, all of you are submitting to the civil government in some form or another. I don't care how fast you drive down the highway. You are submitting to the civil government in some form or another. Come April 15th, many of you will be submitting stuff to the civil government that you are hating coming out of your pocket, right? Death and taxes, right? They're coming, right? To, to a teacher in your school if you're in school. We submit and have authority and submission in the business world. We have a manager and we have employees who do what the manager says. We see it in the military. Those of you in the military, if you don't submit to your authority, you're no longer in the military. But yet when it comes to the church and to the family, we get so wigged out about roles. This is why I said this last week and it bears repeating. A proper, to properly study a text like this, we should not let our emotions our presuppositions, or our culture <clears throat> guide us. We must ask this question, what do, and then submit ourselves to what God says. Now, here's why this is important. If God gives us difficult texts in the Bible and hard things to understand and hard things to do, here's what you as a Christian can rest assured in. You have a Father in heaven who saved you and who empowered you by his Holy Spirit to do the very things he's asking you to do. Meaning, these things are not impossible, although they may be hard. He would not have given us his word to submit to if it was not possible in his spirit to submit to it. Right? So we've got to just allow our emotion to kind of get out of the way, cultural norms to get out of the way, and just say, what does the text say? As my mentor used to say when I was growing up in ministry, David, don't forget, truth is what God says. And we must submit ourselves and align ourselves with what God... We're going to take a look at the last three verses of this text. And if, you, if you're curious what we talk about in the first few verses, you can listen to part one of this sermon series uh, the last two weeks. But we're going to look at verses 13 through 15, and we're going to continue looking at the why of gender roles. Why has God made... A woman's submission and support to a man's leadership and authority. Why is that the norm in the church and the family? And, and if you're new with us, you've got a, an outline. Open that up or pull that out, and you've got a big idea at the top. Here's what I'm hoping that we're learning. And each of these phrases are, in, are important. God has given each of us our genders and has given each gender a role in the church. Each gender has equal value, yet a different role. When we submit to God's design, every person is honored and valuable in God's work. 
I want to say that again with some emphasis. God has given each of us our genders. That's remarkably important in the world you're living in that says, I choose my gender as your gender. And has given each gender a role to play in his church. Each gender is to complement the other gender. They're, they're to be like hand in hand, working together. And each gender has equal value, yet a different role. Role does not determine value. Being made in the image of God determines value. Jesus dying for our sins determines value. And when we submit to God's design, every person is honored and valuable in God's work. Because when gender roles are functioning appropriately, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find strong women and you're going to find strong men. And you're going to find strong men who are not intimidated by strong women and strong women who are not intimidated by strong men. And you're going to find them complementing one another to where they are strong together, accomplishing way more than what we see in the rest of the world. See, here's, here's one of the challenges that we have. And I was coming this morning, listen to our, uh, our worship playlist for the week. And I like to listen to that throughout the week as mornings. I listen to it on my drive in because I drive in from Glide. And a little ad came on, and the ad came on, and it was an immediate ad about a racial war going on. It was about something that happened back in the 60s about how a certain race was honored above another race, and it was almost like you could feel this tension in the air. Because here's what we've done. We've created racial wars. We've created gender wars. In the church, we've created worship wars. Right? If you know what those are, you understand what I'm talking about. What you're going to notice in God's design for genders... There is no war. In God's design for gender, genders work together and value each other because they understand the role that they're supposed to function in. And when they both operate within their role, they are both strengthened. And what you find is genders working together, not men's rights or women's rights. No, it's we're both working together. That's what you actually find in the church. So, so stand with me. Let's, let's, let's read 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 15, and then we will pray. This is the reading of God's word. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman submiss. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was was, was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You can see why we need prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for hard things. Thank you for things that go against even how we feel. Thank you for things that tell us that you have given us power to obey. For things like this that reveal to us a way that we can demonstrate your, your work in us, the power of the gospel, and we can also demonstrate to the world what the Godhead looks like. So help us today. Open our eyes to truths that we may not understand and help us to submit to you as our God and our King. 
for your glory, for the good of your people, for the advancement of your gospel. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> now let's start with point number one, which is God's created order. You're going to see that in verse 13. And we hit on this last week, but the biblical norm takes us back to the created order. God created Adam first and then Eve. Now, if you're reading your Bibles closely, you're going to notice something in the New Testament. When Paul is writing about biblical norms, when Paul's writing about the family, when he's writing about the church, Paul always does something fascinating. Not always, but most of the time, Paul does something fascinating. He goes back to how did God set things up at the beginning before everything went crazy? What did God do at the beginning? He likes to ask this question. When people say, what are the roles in the church? Paul likes to say, well, here's a question. What were the roles in creation? How did it up? And this is remarkably critical because your world determines roles by something completely different. Your world determines roles by abilities. If somebody's good at something, they should have a role of leadership or authority. They determine it by intellect. If this person is smarter or they have a higher education, they should be the leaders in leadership. They determine it by socioeconomics. Who makes the most money should be the one who determines who leads. For the church and the family, the Bible looks back to the way God set it up in the beginning. And the way God set it up in the beginning of humanity shows us authority and it shows us submission. Adam was created first and then Eve. And we see this very clearly in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, we're told that the Lord made Adam from the dust of the ground first. But then he created Eve from a rib in Adam's side. Now you're going to notice, she comes from the man because the man was created first. As my mentor in ministry told me, notice he created her from a rib. Not from a bone in his foot so that he could dominate her. And not from a bone in his head so she could dominate him. But from a rib. They stand side by side together, each doing their part. Notice that she was created because Adam needed a helper. You can see this clearly in Genesis 2.18. And a helper is not a leader. A helper helps the leader and follows the leader. To compliment the leader, to fill roles that he cannot necessarily do. But God goes one step farther in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God gave Adam the authority to name everything that was made. Adam had naming rights, telling us that as the one who could name things, Adam was the authority. He even gave Adam the authority to name Eve, to give her her name. Now, all of these indicators in Genesis chapter 2 show us something about God's design. It shows us there was a leader and there was a helper. There was a leader, one in authority, and one who was not an authority. But the other issue I want you to notice is this is in Genesis 1 and 2. This is prior to sin ever coming into the world. Meaning, authority and submission were as much a part of God's God's commands for man and woman to multiply and be fruitful. This is God's created order. Now, it's important because as George Knight wrote in his commentary, here's what he wrote. The order in which God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, expresses and determines the relationship God intended and the order of authority. The one form first is to have to have authority. The one form second is to be in subjection. 
Now, God is the one who did the creating. Therefore, God would be the one who would know what makes for human flourishing in the church is God's doing. Culture and others can say anything they want to say, but this is God's doing. So we have to ask, well, why did God set it up this way? Why did God make it where there's a leader and there's a helper? Well, the beauty of God's word is we're not left unaware. Notice Paul's logic in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he's discussing, again, the family and he's discussing the church. Notice what Paul does in his logic. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband. The head of Christ is... In other words, what he does is he says, the head of the wife is her husband. The head of the husband is Christ. And the head of Christ is God. Meaning the gender roles with authority and submission point us to the authority and submission found in the relationship between God and Jesus. So we know something interesting. When Jesus came to earth, we know that Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will. We, I mean, most famous verses that you could hear Jesus saying in the Garden of Gethsemane are what? Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Jesus would say, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus was in submission to the will of God. God is the head of Christ. The husband is the head of his wife. Meaning that one reason why God made man first. Now just think about the high calling of this for a moment. One reason God made you a woman or you a man is to reveal something in the Godhead. The way we interact with one another in our God-given genders is to reflect the authority and submission found in the Godhead. So ladies, if you think that your role of submission is less than, ask yourself a question, is Jesus' role less than God's? Or men, if you think that your role of leadership is more than or less than Ask yourself, is God's role more than Jesus's? See, this is significant because we all would affirm that God and Jesus are one. We all would affirm that they're equal in value, yet they what? They have different roles. Equal value, different in role. Both are worthy of praise, yet function in different roles. So this tells us that God made men and women in such a unique way that when they interact with one another in God's created order, it reveals something about the Godhead. And in so doing, because there's great joy, eternal joy in the Godhead, it brings us joy when we do it as well. Both genders are to complement one another, and they are to strengthen one another, and they're to build one another up for their God-given roles. Now, that's all pre-fall. That's all before sin ever comes into the world. And we know, don't we, that sin really distorts this. It really goofs it up. And that's why the following statement in 1 Timothy 2 verse 14 is so significant. Adam was not deceived. Eve was and became a transgressor. And that's the second point is Eve's deception. See, this is the other reason why men are leaders in the church and women are not. You have Adam created first, God's order. And now you have Eve was deceived, Adam was not. Now at the outset, we've got to be very careful here because this verse would, some have said, this verse means that women are just gullible. They, they 
fall for any prank and they can't think for themselves. But that's bad theology, terrible, terrible just generalizations. And it doesn't honor the strengths of women nor recognize that men... And just do some math on this if you want. Go back and look in the Bible at the name of every false teacher listed in the Bible. It's a man. It's not a woman. Which tells us that men can be gullible as well. So these verses don't mean that women can't think for themselves or they're just prone to deception necessarily. Instead, don't forget the context we're in. The context that we were in is about leadership in the church. It's about who should teach with authority. It's about, it's about understanding the roles in the church. It's really about understanding the danger of distorting the roles and confusing the roles and the risk of what happens when that happens, goes on when that happens. Now, here's how we know that. For this, we've got to go back to the garden scene once again. Because before Eve was created, God gave Adam a command. Don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. And if you do, you're going to die. In Genesis chapter 3, something really sinister happened. Really slick. It's a, it's a fascinating move by the enemy of our souls, Satan. Satan went to Eve and ask her a question. Did God really say? In other words, every lie of Satan begins with, did God really say that? Is that really true? For real, you're going to believe that? And he goes to... to now notice the, the transaction here. Rather than Eve in this moment going to the one who received the commandment, Adam, and saying, did God really say? Eve took the fruit, believed it was good to eat, good to make her wise, and it looked good to her eyes. She took the fruit and ate it, believing that something God had commanded not to do was good for her. In that moment, she was deceived. But notice, Adam was not deceived. Adam knew exactly what was going on. At this moment in his leadership of his wife and abdicated authority to his wife, and being with her. Notice where he's at. He's with her. I mean, I mean, his wife says, here's the fruit. And Adam should be like going in his mind. God said, don't eat of the fruit. And he says, she's beautiful. Eat the fruit. And he ate the fruit, right? If you want to understand influence, ladies, that's influence. <laughs> he took the fruit and ate the fruit. Now, here's what happened. What happened in this moment when you... When you're comparing it to 1 Timothy 2 in the backdrop, you've got to keep that in the backdrop of leadership, of support in the church, in the family. What happened was a distortion and confusion of gender roles. And notice who started it. It wasn't Eve. So ladies, God, he's not going to blame me, right? It was Satan himself. And who did he approach? He approached Eve. Now, I find that fascinating because look around your world today and notice what's happening with parental rights today. Let's not ask the parents what gender their child is. Let's ask the child. Who started it? Satan himself. He approached Eve. Now, all the reasons why he approached her, we don't know. 
But we can deduce something from Genesis 1 and 2, and we can deduce something from 1 Timothy chapter 2, is this. He approached Eve, listen clearly, because when the gender roles are confused, deception lies close at hand. Hear that again. When gender roles are confused, deception lies close at hand. See, some will say he approached Eve because a woman can't her pops up. Women naturally can't discern error, but that's terrible generalization. My wife is quite a bit smarter than me on many different subjects, and I know guys who have incredibly intelligent women around them that would say the exact same thing. Instead, what we see here, Eve's deception was brought on by simply reversing the gender rules. When gender roles are confused, deception lies close at hand. Eve was deceived because she stepped into a role that was not hers. Rather than asking Adam, hey, bud, need your help here. She, received, she, she stepped into the role of leading and then deciding based on her own understanding of what was right rather than what God or Adam thought. And, but Adam's not off the hook here, is he? Because Adam was passive and abdicated his leadership role as well. Since she had not received this command from God firsthand, Eve was easy picking. And better yet, listen, because the leader or the authority in that decision, she was also an easy target. Now, when you overlay 1 Timothy 2 on top of this with the understanding of church leadership and church submission, you see something really fascinating. You can see why it's dangerous to get the roles confused in the church. Timothy and his church would remember how the fall of humanity happened. And one of the ways deception occurs in the church is when gender roles are reversed and leadership and authority gets out of whack. And notice at the fall, how were the consequences for us as humans? They were So ask yourself if they were catastrophic at the fall... In the church, when they get out of whack, we can assume they will be catastrophic as well. And it's important to remember when we're in the church because one of the functions of leadership in the church is to receive by it. But one of the things that we learn from the story of the fall of humanity is that when gender roles are confused, deception lies close at hand. See, this is why our leadership team, this is why our elder team is fully committed to understanding this. One of the ways you fight false teaching, well, just one of the ways, is to maintain God-centered, God-created gender roles in the church and family, and you value them, you honor them, you support them, and you do everything you can to model them. Because when gender roles are confused, deception Lies close at hand. I, I can't, I don't have time to tell you of the denominations that decided that it's just okay to start doing certain things with gender roles and to see where those things have led them to now. In my opinion, this is potentially one of the very first slippery slopes toward false doctrine. In Eve's deception, we see the effects of sin on gender roles. It's intriguing that the very thing that Eve did in taking a role that wasn't hers was the very same thing God told her she would sinfully desire because of her sin. 
In Genesis 3.16, God told the woman that her desire would be contrary to her husband. The word desire means to usurp the authority of a man. It's not a good desire. Desire for mastery or control. Rather than live in joyful submission to male leadership in the home and the church, sin tempts women to usurp that authority that God set up. But, but sin also affects Adam and the sons of Adam. And we see it in two places. You see it first in Adam's passivity, don't you? When he ate the fruit, rather than stepping in to take leadership, you know what men like to do? We passively abdicate to our wives. We come home from a hard day at work. Our kids are being a train wreck. And we say, sweetie, you got it. I need some time. You do that in my home. My wife walks up to you and says, I got a question for you. Here's this. Are you going to continue in self-pity because your kids need a dad? Put on your big boy pants and go lead. See, passivity, Adam's passivity, rather than leading and protecting, we abdicate. Men step back when they should be stepping up. And in Genesis chapter 3, 16, you'll notice something else. Rather than loving, caring servant leadership, Adam's sin caused him to rise up and crush her. See, men, here's, here's our tendency Our tendency is to be passive until we can't be passive anymore and then we rise up in anger. Instead, what we should be doing is leading first in loving leadership and care so we don't have to respond in anger. Our anger is derived from our passivity. And we see this kind of work itself out in Scripture. You know, I've I've been to a lady in our church earlier. I said a question for you. Um, As we talk about leadership and stuff, would you rather have leader? Would you rather have authority? Or influence. She goes, well, if I had to choose one, I, I think I'd choose influence. I said, right, well, well, the Bible is full of examples of women with influence. Is there, is there any better example than Eve? How'd she influence her husband? Batted her eyes. This tastes so good. You want some? Or, or what about Abram? I mean, Abram gets a a promise from God that God's going to give him a son. A few years later, things aren't happening very smoothly. His wife says, you know what? I'm old. Things aren't going as fast as they should. I got an idea, Abram. I got this pretty housemaid. Her name is Hagar. Go have a baby with her. And Abram not one time says, you know, bad idea. (laughs) Bad idea. He just goes, great idea. Off to the tent he goes. I mean... (laughs) And are we, are we reaping the consequences today of Abram's passivity and Sarai's influence? What about King Ahab? King Ahab had a wife, and do not name your daughters after her. Her name was Jezebel. You know what he let his wife do? Lead an entire nation into Baal worship. Women, if you think for one moment that not having authority means you have no influence, you're completely missing the boat. I said this before, my wife, she may be, I may be the head, but my wife is the neck. If she back today, I got a couple examples, I'm going to use you okay with these examples. She said, they're all true. Yeah, use them. If she said no, they're shut down, right? Sin affects gender roles by reversing them. And now what you notice in these gender roles reversal 
And what you notice in 1 Timothy 2 is something powerful. It's the work of the gospel. You notice what Paul does in 1 Timothy 2? He says, hey, ladies, guess what? Your natural tendency is to usurp the authority of a man and try to get control. Guys, your natural tendency is to be passive and to get angry. But here's what I want men to do. I want them to lead with authority. And ladies, I want you to joyfully submit. Do you see what he does? You see what Paul does? Paul takes the gospel and says, let me show you how the gospel transforms you from what is natural, sinfully natural to you to be able to do something that only the power of the gospel can do. See, Jesus Christ came to pay for your usurping, ladies. Jesus came to your passive anger, meaning he doesn't just offer you forgiveness of sin, which is amazing, but he gives you the power to be completely different. No longer controlled by your sin to be passive and rise up in anger. No longer to try to usurp your husband to go, look, it's because he's not stepping forward, so I'm going to step forward. And now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, men lead as loving leaders and ladies. You can be respectful helpers by the power of the gospel at work in you. Now, what Paul is doing in 1 Timothy 2 is showing us there is a power that should be at work in the church that reveals the gospel to the rest of the world by the way our genders act toward one another. Let me just add one critical element to this I think is important. I want you to notice in the creation scene, God gave Adam and Eve one thing they were not to do. Just one. Everything else they could do. And yet they did it anyway. And ladies, listen clearly. In the church and the family, God gives you one area you can and you shouldn't do. You should not teach with authority or serve in an authoritative position in the church. Just one thing. Now I asked one of our ladies in our church about that this week and I wanted to get her input and Julie Cherry wrote this to me. She said, perhaps it is God's intention that every time I might be tempted to usurp another's authoritative position, I'm to remember the original sin and the seriousness of it. I'm sure many women think of the curse of sin as they give birth in pain. Why should I not remember humanity's rebellion against God as I consider a role that is not open to me? God has given me so many ways to serve him. He's only barred me from this one, much like the one tree in the garden. I hope that I would not follow Eve's example and deceive myself into thinking that it's a good idea to take the one prohibited option for myself, setting myself up against my creator. See, what we see here is that while God has created gender roles to reveal something about the Godhead, we also see that when we live in the biblical norm that God has laid out of gender roles, it reveals the power of Christ. And we're showing the power of the gospel to the rest of the world. That's why I said last week, the church is to be the bastion for God's created roles. If any place should have the gender roles working themselves out with value, strength, and honor, it should be the church. And if you want to know why the rest of the world is confused about gender roles, because the church is confused about gender roles. God has given us Christ. He's given us his power. And he's given us clear understanding of what this is to look like. So in the church, listen, we should recognize, we should celebrate, we should rejoice that God has given us each different genders. 
And each gender has a role in his church to play. That is an awesome role to play. And each gender has equal value, yet a different role. And when we submit to God's design, every person in the church is honored and valuable in God's work. And you have strong men and you have strong women who value one another deeply. Not women going, man, I just wish I could be the preacher. And men going, you know, I'm just going to step back and let ladies do their stuff. No, it's, it's working together, complimenting one another for the glory of God, for the good of one another, for future generations' good, and for the advancement of the gospel. When we submit to God's design, every person is honored and valuable in God's work, and you find strong men and strong women. And it's a cool thing to watch. Now let's finish with verse 15 because this is the most eye-popping verse probably in the text for some of you. It's almost like Paul when he got to verse 15. I feel Timothy's going to get some heat on this. Let me, uh, let, me try to, let me try to soften it with a really weird verse. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I can imagine. I read this and I'm like, it's oddly phrased. The Greek is even arranged weird. And it just, this verse just shows us Eve's honor. And let me show you why. I, I don't know everything about this verse. I, I'm just being honest. But I'm going to tell you a few things I do know. And I can promise you from this pulpit, I only teach the things I do know. I don't tell you things I don't know. If I don't know, I'm going to tell you I don't know. I don't know all the details of this. But I can tell you a few things I do know. One, Paul is not saying that women are saved for eternal life by having kids. We know from Paul's letter, from the rest of the Bible... That salvation comes by faith here for sinners, and he's the one mediator between God and man alone. Only Christ saves us. We know that. Second, Paul is not saying that a woman's role is simply to stay home and have kids in that barefoot and pregnant type of attitude that, in my opinion, demeans women. Takes them out of their God-given role and influence of where they should be functioning. Instead, I think Paul's doing something fascinating. Paul is using childbearing... That's just one example of a woman's unique role. In other words, while men have a unique role, women have a unique role. And one of those examples is in the fact women can have children. The continuation of humanity is dependent on women. When I have a birthday, I have a friend of mine that our birthdays are the exact same date, exact same year, and he's going to be here with us in uh, April and I say to him, you know what's crazy about this is uh, we're brothers from another mother, but my mother and your mother are both mothers. That's a Three Stooges comment in case you didn't know that, right? <laughs> right? Mike picked it up, right? We cannot advance the human race without women. We need women. Guys, amen, we need women, right? You should be saying amen to this, right? We need women. But here's what Paul is getting at. A woman who embraces her God-given role... Will, and will joyfully help in the context of the family and the church. Now, two quotes help me with this, and I think they'll help you as well. They're a little lengthy, but you can bear with me. From Scott and Lindsay first, he said this. Paul, by talking about women and childbearing, is using that one aspect of womanhood to one of the central roles associated with womanhood, saying that a woman will be saved not through a rejection of their unique role as women, and thus God's authority in so ordering that situation, but rather by embracing that role as symbolized by the function of bearing children. In other words, by embracing and submitting to God's authority in this area. To put it another way, now listen to this. 
It is not by scorning or denying divinely established role distinctions, but by accepting them that women will demonstrate deeds appropriate for those who worship God. Now think about that in a world that's filled with women, find your place. Take your role. You go, girl. I mean, you name all the langos, and what do you have? You have people that are trying to function outside of God's given design. And there's frustration everywhere. James Boardwine put it this way. When the apostle refers to women being saved, he means to insinuate that women should do what God intends women to do. That is, fill the God-assigned female role represented by means of symbolizing in the phrase, the bearing of children. They should not seek to do what God intends men to do. That is, teach and exercise spiritual authority. By functioning according to God's design, women ensure for themselves the favor of God. They create an atmosphere rich. See, in other words, what Paul is doing in this verse is he's placing remarkable value on women, not devaluing women. He's reaffirming God's created order by this statement, by simply saying a woman should embrace her unique role in God's created order. It's a statement of honor. In a sense, what he's saying is men and women have the same value, but a different role. So here's a question. Are men less valuable because they can't have babies? The obvious answer is, well, no. Are women less valuable because they can't lead the church? Well, no. Why would we ever think that? Both genders are valuable, yet both genders have different roles. They are to complement one another by playing those unique roles for the glory. That's what Paul is getting at. So let's just recap the last two weeks. The biblical norm in the church is a woman's submission to male authority because God created Adam first and then Eve. Women can be and should be gifted teachers and are instructed to teach in a variety of places, but they're not permitted to teach in the office of elders in the church. God created gender roles to reveal the relationship in the Godhead of authority and submission. Gender roles are reversed or confused. Deception lies close at hand. And when we faithfully live out biblical gender roles, it reveals the gospel's power and it brings us great joy. And listen, there should be no misunderstanding of this. We're not made right with God by just simply getting our gender roles right. We're not made right with God by, by just making good decisions on how we are made right with God through faith in Jesus alone and his grace extended to us. Jesus alone satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf by his life, his death, and his resurrection and nothing else. But I don't know about you, when I look at Jesus' life and I see his loving leadership of his church, Man, I don't know about you, but I see the power I need in Jesus to not be a passive, angry man. Ladies, I don't know about you, but if I were you, I would be looking at Jesus' submission to his Father and recognizing that maybe in your own submission and respect that you've fallen short of what God asks of you, and I would see my need for the power of Christ to help me change. And the wonder of wonders is, if you're a child of God, that power is at full display and full opportunity for you. That's why I said earlier, these difficult texts don't leave us hanging. <laughs> no, they leave us clinging. They leave us at the foot of the cross saying, Jesus, we need you. 
We want you to keep working in us and help us do this in a way that honors God, honors each other's gender, that glorifies God, advances the gospel because people see something that just doesn't compute in their brains about how strong men and strong women, they don't get that. They think it should be one or the other. No, we say, no, it can be both. Let's let it be both and be fully comfortable with that for the glory of God and the advancement of his gospel. Let's pray. Father, we need you so desperately. I, I so, I'm so glad for the work you're doing in this church, that we have strong men, strong women, strong marriages. We have strong singles. I, I love that we put value in each other's genders. <clears throat> I love that we honor one another. I can share opinions and women who can share opinions, and neither one is intimidated by the other. But God, I pray we, there's going to be areas where we all recognize in our homes or in our church that we've not submitted well, we've not led well. And I thank you for the power that's in Christ to change us. So Father, where we don't line up to what your standard is, would you, would you do that work of transformation in us? And I pray, oh God, I pray, that the way we interact together in our unique God-given genders would display and demonstrate and declare to the world that we have a real Savior who is transforming us and helping us to live like God intends. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.